Hi, I'm Amit Sharma at the All In Food Studios of the Food Decisions Research Laboratory at Penn State's School of Hospitality Management. Welcome to this podcast from our studio facility in the Merit Foundation building of the School of Hospitality Management. We expect work to provide us with our life's necessities and preferences, but we also seek meaning in work. But that's not always true, or that's not always how it ends up being. In fact, some of the more recent statistics related to workplace experiences are quite sobering. A recent Gallup poll found that in the United States, specifically, 50% of the workers reported feeling stressed at their jobs on a daily basis, 41% as being worried, 22% as being sad, and 18% angry. One theory is that this continues to be the spillover from the COVID pandemic. So can companies re-engage employees and rebalance workplace expectations in a way that it brings more meaning to life? This is a question that researchers and industries are asking and trying to do something about it. We will also focus our discussion in this podcast on a similar question. Can there be more fun at the workplace to balance off some of those negative feelings that I mentioned earlier? As usual, we connect our discussions to one or more of the sustainable development goals. At the least, we see this issue connected to the sustainable development goal number eight, that emphasizes decent work and economic growth. To talk about this challenging issue, I'm delighted to welcome our resident workplace expert, Dr. Michael J. Tews, who's an associate professor in the School of Hospitality Management and one of the founding members of the People Project at Penn State University. Welcome to the Allen Food Studios, and thank you for agreeing to share your insights on this podcast, Dr. Tews. Thank you for having me, Dr. Sharma Amit. It is a pleasure to be on the show this morning today. And it's really fun to be able to, you know, literally and I guess figuratively to talk about a topic that I've been interested in for, you know, close to 20 years. And your introduction, it was very sobering about, you know, the challenges of the workplace today. And we really are kind of renegotiating what it is like to work post-pandemic. And fun really does have a central element in it because people talk about the high degrees of loneliness among people, people feeling alienated in their work. And fun can be one element to help combat the challenge. I'm glad you uh, connected that to the introduction. I was going to ask you that, so, so thank you. And yeah, we will have a little bit of fun on this in this discussion, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So I, I want to go back to what you what you said. Uh, you've been working on this for twenty years. Briefly, tell us what got you into this line of uh, of, of research. So before I had as many gray hairs um, as I have now, you know, I was starting you know, my PhD, and I had to find a line of research. And I wanted to find something that resonated with me, something that was creative, as well as something where there was a theoretical and a practical need. And this was in the early 2000s. And there's a lot of talk about companies having fun at work. Notable examples was probably Southwest Airlines, which 
you know, has a great, you know, corporate culture and incorporated fun into it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of talk, you know, popular press wise about fun at work. But then in the academic literature, not a lot, you know, was mentioned of it. And there's there were also practical books written about fun, such as titles relating to 101 ways to have fun at work. When you open up those titles, a lot of times the fun sounds very manufactured and artificial. So it was the intersection of these different forces coming together, which really represented, you know, an interesting research opportunity and gap. And plus, fundamentally, I started my career in the hospitality industry, probably at the age of 14, working in a restaurant, uh, washing dishes. And what I loved about working in this environment is that it was fun. You know, for lack of a better word, I enjoyed my coworkers. I loved the hustle and bustle. There was, you know, some social activities going on. And it really was a fun environment. Not to say there weren't challenges with it, because fun can be, you know, there is a dark side of it. But mm-hmm. that's what really piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, working in restaurants. That's my experience, too, that it used to be fun. So let's let's start with the basics. Is that what you mean by fun when you talk about fun at the workplace? So let's, you know, excellent question. Let me back up a little bit. A lot of things can mean fun in our vernacular. And it's important to differentiate the experience of fun. You know, I'm having fun at work. Mm -hmm. And nobody can argue that that is an important goal. And then we have what impacts fun. So we have these curated activities, you know, such as formal activities. Mm -hmm. And then we have more organic, informal interactions. Mm -hmm. So to simplify it, we have what I feel, you know, this is fun. And then there's what's influencing those feelings. And where the debate comes with fun is whether or not people like these fun activities or not, because sometimes they can be too too formal, too artificial, you know, and then we also have the organic fun, which sometimes we like a whole heck of a lot more but sometimes that can bleed into, you know, some inappropriate behavior in the workplace. Mm. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad you mentioned curated versus the organic part of the fun. I'm guessing there's got to be some balance, which is good because, as you said, curated fun doesn't always lead to being fun. But at the same time, too much organic fun can have its sort of downside. So, so talk a little bit about if you can, is there a way to actually create that balance between the curated versus the organic, or that's not really the point of this uh, whole exercise of fun at workplace? I think there's separate goals with the curated versus the more organic, but I would like to back up just a couple of steps. I think the fundamental goal of any fun endeavor is primarily about developing the human connection at work. Mm. Sure, fun can lead to 
increase creativity. It can lead to reduce stress. But a lot of times fun is about these social endeavors, whether or not they're structured or curated or the more informal, it's about developing the high quality connection. Mm -hmm. Got it. Now, now, the curated fund, the formal activities, that's where there is the debate. Now, we've all attended, you know, holiday parties, annual picnics, you know, retreats, so on and so forth. And this is where I've evolved in my thinking over the years. You know, initially, I think, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of resistance to these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we get the invitation for the formal party or the outing. And sometimes we think it may be fun, but there's a lot of resistance to it. Like, hey, I have these other demands on my life. Mm-hmm. But what I find from a personal perspective is these curated activities, even if there is a little resistance to it, ultimately people have a good time when they're there if they're properly developed. Mm-hmm. So it may be, you know, a little dose of medicine that we need, the curated fun. Now, in terms of making the curated fun acceptable for employees, mm-hmm. rule number one, which is indisputable in the research, is make it voluntary. As soon as we tell you, Amit, that you have to go, then it becomes a work demand. Mm -hmm. And then we just develop some resistance. Mm -hmm. So just always make it voluntary. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, if it's voluntary, then, you know, it'll come. So, uh, you know, we're going to get into some of the more functional advice that you could probably give to industry. Um, but before we do that, you, you talked about the, sort of the you related workplace fun and outcomes related to that. From a business point of view, does it make sense? You know, why should businesses look at this? Let's say productivity. Um, does it is there research to show that it has any positive impact? Okay, without a doubt, there's a growing body of literature that shows that fun has a positive impact. Where it has its strongest impact is on employee attitudes. So more fun, it's going to lead to greater job satisfaction, employee engagement, and greater employee commitment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then it's going to lead to better high-quality relationships. And it's those better high-quality relationships that's going to have a strong link on turnover and retention. So that's where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck based on the existing research. In terms of job performance, which organizations are certainly going to be concerned about that. Mm-hmm. It's going to impact your citizenship behavior a lot. Now mm-hmm. your citizenship behavior is whether or not you are helping other coworkers, volunteering to do extra things. So if you have more fun at work, it there's pretty strong evidence that it's going to lead to those types of behaviors. Actual productivity, there's less research there. But I've done some research in the food service industry, and I've shown that when there's more fun at work, it does lead to increased sales. Mm-hmm. So there is a productivity link. Mm-hmm. I have found in certain circumstances, it can lead to some slacking off. Mm-hmm. Now, I was talking to a buddy of mine on the phone, mm-hmm. and we're searching for these 
you know, curvilinear relationships, like when is too much fun, you know, too much fun. And the research really doesn't show that it's going to really harm us too much. Now I'll talk about the detrimental effects in a little bit, but the reason why maybe why there's not, you know, too much fun is that we spend so much time at work. And if we think about how much time we're actually on task versus socializing, let's have the time socializing be fun. And it's that socializing can also lead to greater productivity as well. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that was lost in the pandemic is people knowing how to uh, have those water cooler conversations with one another. And that's what fun allows us to do as well, to be in the know, to catch up serendipitously, and that can lead to greater engagement. But to answer your question, there is a business uh, case for fun at work, without a doubt. Hey, you, you, I'm chuckled a little bit because when you said about the connection of sales to fun, it reminds me of the curated part of the fun that often is taught in food service and, and some restaurant chains that you go in and you have this little fun discussion initially and make that connection with the, with the customer. Do you think that's sort of the curated part on the customer and that probably drives the sales or makes the connection of the employees with the with the customer and it's that little bit of bonding and trust if you want to call it right so is that something that goes into it or is it really the effort um from the employee's point of view i think it's the effort and the positive affect and engagement because i think what fun can do is lift us up right now if i can okay. go on a little if I can go on a little sidebar here. So I want to talk about my teaching endeavors. Right. So we're in the middle of the winter, really low student engagement, you know, on a particular week, you know, mm -hmm. dead of winter, students aren't really engaged in the material. Mm -hmm. So I brought in a pack of 10 Uno decks. And at the beginning of class, we just played Uno for 10 minutes. It wasn't related mm -hmm. to class, but we just played Uno. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we transitioned into the lecture. And it was really surprising just how playing Uno made the students, you know, the young adults come to life a little bit. I saw mm -hmm. some students smile that, you know, never smiled before. So that just shows how these activities, even if they're a little bit curated, can lift us up. So, mm -hmm. I think it's that elevation of affect. Got it. So just going, going back to the business side of things that, of course, that business sense is one question that industry would be asking that, you know, why should we do this if it's not going to make any difference? And as you said, it does make a difference. But do you think there could be other reasons why sometimes companies might be less or, or more reluctant to adopt Fun. So, for instance, um, there's this idea of a guilt factor attached to fun, the sort of the hedonistic view uh, versus the more moralistic expectations that when you're at work, you've got to work. You know, you have this, this responsibility um, of doing your job. So 
Is that something that you have encountered in, in the literature or even in practice? Well, I think I'd like to address one point. Any fun activity or fun endeavor, it has to be part of your larger human resource management system. So, mm -hmm. you know, consider the culture of your company. You know, if some companies are more formal, you know, it's not going to make as much sense to have as much lighthearted stuff in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But I think the more interesting answer is, is there a dark side of fun? And I would say, mm -hmm. yeah, it's sexual harassment, drug and alcohol use, which are some spillover effects. And I've done some research showing that when there's alcohol at formal fun activities, it leads to greater sexual harassment. Mm. Okay. So that is a problem. And the problem with a lot of the curated activities is they may occur at the end of the workday, outside of work. And when there's that blending of work and non-work, you know, that's when some of, you know, the vices come in to play. Mm. And that is the dark side, if I see it as such. And that's both anecdotally, and we've seen this in the literature as well. As you were talking about that, I was, I'm wondering that, does it also relate a little bit to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, um, being educated about how to do this in a responsible way as, as a business? So when the moment you say fun doesn't really mean fun only. It means fun in a responsible way, right? And there's some sort of guardrails around this. So do you think there's some education to be provided here for even the industry when they're trying to adopt such practices? 100%. And I think people have to understand the complexities around it. Mm -hmm. Because when you say fun at work, it oftentimes, you know, evokes an emotional response from people and people have very, you know, strong opinions one way or the other, like mm. love it, hate it. They, you know, all of us, you know, base our thinking on pure, you know, previous heuristics and there's complexities around the issue. So I think absolutely we do need some education and training. And I think even podcasts such as this, where we're, engaging in a dialogue like this can help, you know, practitioners. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to go on to one other question before we take uh, our um, quiz break. Um, and this sort of relates to your connection with the introduction that I gave. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we talked about the sobering statistics related to uh, all, all types of, negative emotions uh, often that are related with work. Do you think in some ways adding fun at the workplace could be considered a compensatory mechanism where we are intentionally trying to compensate for those negative aspects that often emerge? Not intentionally, the negative part, but probably the positive part more intentionally. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I think it really, if thought out, we can use fun as a strategic human resource management tool. Mm -hmm. So even just to use a simple example of Uno in the workplace, 
Right. Okay, you know, Uno in the classroom. That was to compensate for what I knew was going to be a dry lecture. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. You know, so we can use it to compensate for things. Okay. At the same time, employees aren't stupid. We can't use fun to compensate for low pay. Right. Okay. For, you know, benefits that are limited. So I think fun can help with certain things, but I do not think it should be used, you know, to kind of fool people right. into thinking that their job is something that it isn't. And, and, and bad practices that you, when, you know, whether it is sexual harassment or other types of practices that are illegal practices, which are not, not even uh, worth the time. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So, um, uh, Michael, we're going to take a quick uh, uh, quiz break. So please stay with us here. Uh, we have a quiz question for our audience. Uh, today's quiz question is, and you heard Dr. Tews talk a lot about engagement. So the quiz questions, uh, today's quiz question is, what percentage of those employed report being engaged in the workplace? We will, of course, have the answer for you at the end of the podcast. Okay, so we did say we're going to have fun on the podcast. So this is the fun part of the discussion. All right. You shared one um, uh, uh, one way of having fun. So we're going to talk a little bit more about some other examples that you may have. Uh, but before we dwell into that, there is this thing called uh, deep fun uh, at workplace, uh, workplace versus shallow fun at workplace. So... Mm -hmm. What would be an example of a deep fun at workplace? The moment, I, the moment you say deep fun, that almost kills the fun for me. So what might be deep fun? I think deep fun occurs. So that's, so let's take it away from the curated versus the organic and to the state. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's really thinking about what sort of formal activities and or what type of organic fun really helps me get into the flow of work. Mm -hmm. So deep fun, I don't see it as controversial. I see it as really the state that we want to be in more as flow. When I think of surface fun, I think of that you know, as the analogy suggests, as you're just kind of scratching the surface and mm. a little more superficial. Mm. Once we can figure out what employees intrinsically enjoy mm. and, you know, and just making sure that your employees get along with, you know, one another. I don't want to mm. go off script too much, mm. but I think fundamentally that's what it's about. Making it. sure that your actors you know, get along with one another, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's one thing you have to think about when designing any fun activity, do they get along? Yes, no. And if the answer is no, then you have to be a little more careful in how you do it. But if they do get along already, then you have so much more freedom and flexibility. It's when you're trying to kind of fix a problem or initiate some growth where you have to be much more thoughtful and mindful because you want to avoid, you know, some landmines. 
Yeah, I, thoughtful was the word that was coming to my mind as you were saying it. So it is, yeah, that, that's a nice way to uh, uh, frame that uh, response. Thank you. So what are, what are some of the most common approaches of having fun at workplace that you have encountered or have studied? So we have the formal activities and then we have the informal stuff. Mm -hmm. And where I'm really focusing now in terms of my research is on the informal interactions, like just the importance of chit chat with employees, mm -hmm. playing around a little bit, telling jokes with one another and creating, you know, that connection. So that, you know, even though that doesn't sound like a lot of bells and whistles, that fundamentally is what's going to help to create that deeper level experience for mm -hmm. individuals, you know, I believe. And, you know, there's value to think about, I don't know, do we need to be chit-chatting with one another, you know, horsing around a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. does that matter? And I, and I think it does, you know, within limits. But let's circle back to the broader question of if you wanted to know like some like curated activities. So I think the standard one is always going to be the party or a gathering. Mm -hmm. So that one, whether it be the holiday party, the summer picnic, something of that variation. Mm -hmm. Those activities are almost expected by employees. Mm -hmm. And I've found that companies that no longer have a holiday party, the employees are not happy about that, you know, mm. at all. Mm. So be sure to have some sort of, you know, gathering. Mm. And in today's dynamic and culturally diverse, you know, workforce, it should be an inclusive type gathering, but be sure to have those sort of things. Mm. Then we have, you know, outings, you know, going to a baseball game, theater event volunteering. Those are very common. And then what you'll see in some of your larger companies, you know, such as some of your Silicon Valley giants, mm. they'll have campuses with uh, tennis courts, you know, mm -hmm. mm. you know, swimming eateries. Pools, you know, yeah, yeah. Eateries, you know, all these, you know, exactly. and these fun break rooms, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of resources at your disposal. Got it. Um, is virtual party still a thing after the pandemic? All right. So virtual parties, you know, I love that question because I think we'd really do have to figure out how to maintain connections right. with employees virtually because the virtual workforce is here to stay. You know, we're, you know, there's talks about the four day work week, variations of that. And, you know, I'm probably combined with that, it's going to be some virtual engagement. Now, I'm starting to write a paper on virtual employee engagement. Mm -hmm. And in the top 10 list was not the virtual party per se. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the challenge with the virtual party is you have too many people on a screen. Mm -hmm. But what the research says is if you can get people into smaller groups, you know, into breakout rooms and interacting, that can be good. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you can't really use the same tools because those tools are for that other type of experience. And this is this is a different experience of the virtual space. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, what they say we can do that employees do like in a virtual mm. space to promote engagement, mm. have a set time, like coffee hour every morning. Got it. Okay? Yeah. There's going to be coffee hour from nine to 10. And you have a, you know, you have a specific Zoom link where anybody can bounce into that room. Mm. And, you know, we can have a, you know, if you show up, we can have our coffee together. You know, some of our colleagues show up, we can have a little chit chat. Mm. Other things that they say work are having spontaneous meetings mm. where, you know, let's just have a 15 minute meeting where we are shooting the breeze about non-work related topics. So one of those a week. The idea there is to bring some of the serendipity into a very rigid medium mm-hmm. because, you know, the virtual space is not flexible. You know, it does not have the organic um, life as face-to-face interactions do. So if we can kind of create some accidental run-ins with one another, and that's what the, the coffee room does. That's mm. what the spontaneous things do. But that's an underdeveloped area of research. And I think there really is promise there. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the serendipity part of it, because it seems like employers are trying to get employees back for that serendipity. Um, and in that process, probably losing employees because of this increased preference for virtual mm-hmm. spaces or, or virtual work. So yeah. this might be a nice way to to try and create that bridge. Now, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you one last question. Um, you mentioned the four-day week. How does the fun at workplace, and I, I know you touched on this a little bit, but but if you might uh, talk a little bit more about how the four-day week consideration might change this dynamics of fun at workplace, uh, anything more that you want to add to that? Well, first and foremost, I think if we go to a four-day work week, that's going to change the game of work in many ways. And there's two different variations of the four-day work week that are being tossed around. One is the compressed work week. So let's take 40, you know, make it four days of 10. Mm -hmm. Then there's the 32-hour work week instead. Mm -hmm. So... It's an interesting question, and I don't know the answer necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think if we're spending more time in a condensed period, like 10 hours, I think we're going to have to make that 10 hours impactful. Right. Um, one thing, though, you may think maybe if we just have to get there and get the work done, maybe mm-hmm. there'd be less appetite mm-hmm. or, you know, the fun at work. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, an, and another thing with the 32 hour work week, it's like maybe if we're working less, maybe I care less about work. Right. Yeah. And you I know. think a lot, yeah, to, the, to your point, a lot of this also will then relate to how work gets reorganized or redefined in that yeah. four day week. And, and that will yeah. also have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that question is a very hard one. And it's a very thought-provoking one because what it makes me think about are all the different variations of the new workplace. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we may, I don't think we're really going to be going down to 32 hours a week. Right. Like 
like in general, I just yeah. don't think that's part of our culture per se. And if you take right. the hospitality industry, you know, the work needs to get done. But, you know, as a scholar of, you know, the workplace, we are in such a fascinating period because we really are renegotiating what it means, I don't know, to be happy and productive in the workplace. And I see some signs of life post-pandemic. You know, I see it in myself. I see it in my colleagues. You know, like we're glad to be back mm-hmm. you know, to the workplace. Are we where we were pre-pandemic? Not necessarily. But I do think it brings some exciting uh, opportunities. Dr. Chills, thank you for being <laughs> with us. And, and thank you for working on this extremely important issue. We, we, as much time as we spend on work and what we expect from it, I think this is a question that uh, is really worthy of uh, the effort that you're putting into it. So thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure and a joy. So, yes, hopefully some fun as well. Mm-hmm. Although we kept it quite um, uh, balanced in curation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. organic. So now the answer to our quiz question the same Gallup poll that I referred to in the introduction also reported that globally, the percentage of employees who reported being engaged in the workplace is 21%. Employees identifying themselves as female were higher in that percentage reported being engaged than those identifying themselves as males. Um, as for the age group, 20% of the younger than 40 years age group reported being engaged versus 23% in the older than 40 years age group. So not a lot of difference, but still some significant difference. Uh, and by the way, the women or the, or, the, uh, or the respondents identifying themselves as female were 23% versus males being 20%. Uh, regional rankings show United States and Canada ranked, ranked at the top with 33% of the respondents from this region stating being engaged in the workplace. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with two or more people you think will benefit from listening to it. And as always, make safe and informed food choices. Do have some fun at, that your, at your workplace, but that too, do it responsibly. Above all, please stay healthy and cheerful. Until next time from the All In Food Studios, this is Amit Sharma. Thank you for listening.